We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With that, Jesse, are you ready for rapid fire? I am ready for some rapid fire. It's enough of the numbers. Let's just fire from the hip. So let's start with this question from Alex with what you were just talking about. If Tobias does get his 1,142 yards this season, do you buy or sell him as a Heisman Trophy finalist? Um, ooh, That's a tough question. So... Let's look at like let's look no at more Devon, math. no more math at, is allowed. <laughs> let's look at Devontae Smith's stats when he was at right. Alabama, right? He won the Heisman um, in 2020, and I just want to see what his well, total receiving yards were in 2020. He had I'm going to make it easy for you. He had 1,800 receiving yards. I don't think that that's going to that would put him any. I think in order to be a Heisman finalist, you got to be over 1,500 yards as a wide receiver. I mean, if he has 20 touchdowns or something, I guess. I think that if he gets that number of yards going from one catch last year to that number of yards this season, and obviously depending on the kind of season that the team is having, then in that case, I think it is Sam Hartman who is the Heisman Trophy finalist. And as Angelo says, in that case, then potentially Tobias is a Bolitnikov finalist so I would still like the quarterback uh, you know I would still say the quarterback is going to end up being the Heisman finalist but again so much of it also depends on what the team is doing it was easy for Alabama you know like Heisman Heisman winners the last few years have virtually come out of nowhere you know like none of them were predicted at the start of the season when when you look back you know whether it was the the Alabama winners or Caleb Williams, none of these guys were predicted as the Heisman winners. And especially with Alabama, when you're number one in the country for most of the season and there aren't a whole lot of other suitable candidates, that's when the Alabama receiver ends up being the Heisman Trophy winner. That does, you know, that that hasn't happened in too many other cases. It's we all know it's predominantly the quarterbacks. And I think if if Tobias has that kind of year. He's Bolitnikov. Hartman is the Heisman, assuming that Notre Dame is having a really good year. Yeah, I it, I think 1,200 yards gets him on the Bolitnikov finalist. I think in order to be taken seriously as a Heisman, you got to have 1,500 yards and like a touchdown per game type. Um, that might get you some Heisman consideration. But 
I don't think that um, Tobias is quite ready for that kind of production yet. I, I think that Sam Hartman has the ability to get him that kind of production. Um, but again, I don't, I don't see him quite being ready yet uh, for that type of role. Okay. Now, I want to go back really quickly <laughs> to the equation and all the math that you were just now. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this question first, and then I'm gonna give you some instruction. Michael says that was really interesting, Jesse, but I missed how you came up with 0.57 Hartman effect. This was your multiplier in in how you came up with the yardage for Notre Dame. Was that just an arbitrary factor that you came up with, or are there some stats behind that? Now I want you to remember. You're the math major and engineer in this room. Most of us, I would say the majority of us, you know, are not near the level you're on, you know, with the math. So dumb this down a little bit. Explain it to me like you're explaining it to an eight-year-old. How you came up. Now, I'm not saying Michael needs explaining like that. But, like, explain it in the simplest form you can, how you came up with that 0.57 as the multiplier as the Sam Hartman factor in your math. Yeah. So um, what I did in order to get um, the, the Sam Hartman multiplier is I took the receiving yards from the top eight wide receivers last year of Wake Forest. And then I took the receiving yards of the top eight wide receivers for Notre Dame and I did a percent increase between those numbers, and that yielded a 0.57. So all you take is Wake Forest yards minus Notre Dame yards divided by Notre Dame yards, and you get a percent increase. And that was my multiplier. So that was, that was the multiplier. Okay. Basically, the difference between Notre Dame's receiving yards last year and Wake Forest's receiving yards last year. And I attribute those numbers or the gap between those numbers to Sam Hartman. Well done. Beautifully done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. J.D. Bertrand spent some time this offseason talking to former NFL linebackers Sean Lee and Luke Keekley. Here's a quote from Bertrand recently. I just came to Coach Golden and Laurinaitis and asked them, who do I really remind you of? Both of them, without knowing each other's answers, said Sean Lee. So, Jesse... First, Sean Lee, probably the best Dallas Cowboys linebacker of the last 20 or so years. Um, you know, I don't know if you agree with that. First of all, that's when he was healthy and in his prime. What do you think of that comparison? I think the Sean Lee comparison is very good to a point. I think the only difference that I would really point out, um, Sean Lee was athletic and more fluid in his game. And I think that's only because he played safety and got converted down to a linebacker. Well, that really helped him in terms of being quicker um, and, and just more fluid. Right. And I think that's just you have to be a little bit more athletic overall to be a safety than you do a linebacker. And I think he was a little bit slimmed down and trimmed up compared to Bertrand, too, because of this reason. Yeah, he was a say in high school, became an outside linebacker at Penn State. And then when he went moved to the NFL, they moved him to middle linebacker. You're right. I, I, I completely agree. Like just from the athleticism and fluidity, I think that Sean Lee is the better linebacker, but from the diagnosis and knowing where to be and, and all of those things, I, I think it's a pretty good comparison. Oh yeah. I, I think outside of everything else, that's a very good comparison. I just think that the only noticeable glaring difference is just the, a tick in speed and overall 
um, agility would go toward would lean towards Sean Lee. Yeah, I agree. The unfortunate thing with him is because of the fact that he was, you know, he 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 put on what maybe fifteen or twenty pounds by the time he got to the NFL, but he was still didn't You're a didn't have linebacker. Like, yeah, he was a, a, a especially for a middle linebacker. And now, I would just, you say that he kind of started that trend though? Because typically linebackers in the NFL were were bulky, and you didn't need, really necessarily need good speed, right? Like Dick, or, or, or you, and then you start thinking about now. You see a lot of like, you remember when like Buddha Baker got moved down to linebacker from the Cardinals? Mm-hmm. He was a safety that can, got converted down to linebacker. I think Sean Lee kind of was at the beginning of that that trend almost. That guys maybe a little bit undersized linebacker playing a linebacker position, and I think that just shows the shift of the overall game in the NFL, a lot less of the power run and more of spreading you out um, yeah. it, with wide receivers and stuff. I think that's got to cover more space. Started. Yeah. It's like around that time, you know, around that time, Lee had been in the league, I think for a couple of years and, you know, Manti was having the big year he was having at Notre Dame. And you still thought of middle linebackers as that, you know, pluggy kind of guy, you know, more with the Manti Teo build, you know, you're like you're, Dick Butkus and Mike Singletary, Zach Thomas, and you know, those kind of guys, you know, like Junior Seau, even who is maybe a little bit, you know, more elevated uh athlete than than you know any of those guys that I even just mentioned, but still definitely, you know, a more stout, you know, you know, fire plug type middle linebacker guy, where you, you're exactly right, as the league has gone to, and even college as well has gone to you've got to cover a lot more space. Those are those are the kind of body types typically that you see. And you're right. Sean Lee might have been kind of at the forefront of that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back, and this week we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. So James Laurinaitis helped connect Bertrand to both of those guys, Sean Lee and Luke Keekley. Here's another quote from Bertrand. He put me in contact with both of them. And so I sat down. Sean Lee was awesome. He sat there for like an hour, 30 minutes on the phone. Just let me pick his brain. Keekley answered every single one of my questions. Going off that, I was able to learn the kind of things they did watching film. And so I kind of created an outline. 
And then this summer, every single week, I chose Navy, I chose USC. And so each week, I would act like Saturday was the game we were playing, and I'd walk through trying to watch film the way they did, as if it's Sunday, it's Monday, all the way through, and this is what they did. So I'm trying to do it for that team, and then each new week came around, new week, new team, end quote. What do you think of all that? I think that this is someone who's very committed to improving their game, right? He heard the criticism last year, and I think he wants to step up and be the overall leader of the defense. And he took the opportunity not only to train. And I think what really is interesting about this is most guys just train themselves physically in the offseason. Bertrand trained himself physically, and he trained himself mentally by watching film and preparing like it was a game week. He is now breaking down film and setting himself up with a routine uh, for the entire season. So like like I said, guys in the offseason do as much as they can physically to be ready for the season. He did that and matched it mentally, which I've never really seen people do before. I don't I've never heard of a guy, especially in the college level, who will sit down and watch as much film as he did, because what he's doing is he he, he did an entire season, basically, of game weeks, right? Twelve games in each week. So, two, you know, 12, 12 games, that's about three months. And that's, again, what the season is going to be. And so. The fact that he mentally trained himself is impressive to have that kind of um, ambition or, um, you know, someone who can who who, who can self kickstart himself like that. No one told him to do that. He just wanted to do that to get better. And now he's already gone through his dry run. And the fact, you know, one, that you're able to pick the brains of two guys who are both Pro Bowl linebackers in the NFL, Keekly and Lee, and you basically take their blueprint and he's got it. He's done this dry run through the season. Now he's in training camp. He doesn't have to worry about it for a few weeks. And now he's already done it with Navy. So when Navy week comes back around, he's already, you know, he's already done it for Navy. You would just expect that he's going to know basically every team inside and out. Now there are going to be some, you know, some tweaks and, you know, subtle stuff from season to season, but like you would, you would expect that, you know, you, you talk about the ability to play fast and process and you know all this different stuff. I mean, you would quite honestly just expect to see a completely different level JD Bertrand this season, don't you think? I, I think JD Bertrand's gonna take his game to the to the next level because I've talked about this before. You know, your mental game is such a big aspect at linebacker because you have to be able to read and react. And so you can't react unless you're reading. And he's he's finding ways to efficiently improve how he goes about making his reads. Yeah. See how this whole thing kind of shakes out for him. It's going to be really interesting to follow and see what kind of season that he has. But I mean, already we've we've seen him at practice where he's helping up, coaching up the young guys like Jalen Sneed the other day and, and doing that kind of stuff. So it's going to be really, really interesting. You were, of course, a linebacker, Jesse, in, in college. If you had the chance to talk to guys like that, what are maybe one of the two of the top questions that you would ask him? I think that would be the first question I would ask is how you go about watching film. That would be the top, you know, how you're breaking it down, what you're looking for. Um, and then I think my next question would be what are some of your most or your top, your top tip points? Meaning if you're reading a defense, once something that is a, is a really good indicator of, you know, pass or run essentially what, and, and based on maybe, you know, formation and splits, what you can expect by just like, 
quick things that you can pick up on to help you diagnose things a little bit quicker? Like what, what are, are those? Keys? Yeah. What are those keys that are helping you? You know, maybe diagnose run pass or maybe. Um, and not only that, but you can tell by certain splits where the run motion is going. Maybe because of a split, they're trying to accomplish a jet sweep or, or you know, maybe a run off the tackle. Maybe with shorter splits, they're looking for something up the middle. Um, but yeah, I think those are the things I would look for because they can give you indication to run pass. And not only that, and if, if it's going to be run, where the run is, is probably going to be going. Um, so I think those would be my top questions. All right. Good stuff. Fill in the blank on this next one. Notre Dame tight ends Kevin Bauman and Eli Raridan are both coming back from ACL injuries. Raridan tore his in October, about a month after Bauman tore his ACL. It's blank. Both are trying to be ready to go by Notre Dame's season opener. Um, It's optimistic that both these guys are, are trying to be ready for the beginning of the season. And Honestly, it's 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 kind of timid too. I don't know how to put timid into the fill in blank. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a timid thing because these guys like it, it's so hard with knee injuries because even when you think things are hundred percent, you still go out there and your knee is compromised, and I don't think you really know it because once you tear it once, there you're, you're the, the the likelihood of number two happening is greater well, than what you did for number one. So I would just be really timid. For these guys and I'm sure they're timid being out there on the practice field but you don't truly know until you're out there in a game situation because there's nothing that can match or simulate a game situation and that's the thing like with Raritan especially like Bauman has been on the bicycle he hasn't been on the field nearly as much Raritan has been out there on the field but when he tore his last October, it was his second tear in 10 months. He's already torn the same one twice. He tore it in December of 2021, like getting, you know, playing basketball in his senior season. And then he tears it 10 months later. And it just, it seems very ambitious, you know, to, tr to try to be pushing to come back that quickly, especially after you've already done it twice. And I know the, you know, these guys are competitors and they want to be out there. And all that kind of stuff, but I would just, I would just think that I would be erring on the uh, on the severe side of caution in in trying to push it to get back that soon. I know that that guys are are coming back sooner and sooner from this kind of stuff, but like especially in Raritan's case, when you've already done it twice in the span of less than a year, I just think that I would be really cautious trying to come back that soon and be back in a game that soon like honestly if i were him based on the way the schedule shakes out i would be much more looking toward ohio state than i would at navy or tennessee state for that matter that early in the season that's just me it's obviously their decision and the training staff yeah i just again it's questionably optimistic i, I and that's the thing is they're obviously they have to be getting feedback from someone but it just seems a little bit too early i i would be I would I would have reservations about the first kind of three games of the season, mm -hmm. especially considering it being Navy, um, Tennessee State, and then who's the third one? I don't think it's anyone of great power, but it's like I would Central rather Michigan. Central Michigan. I'd I'd much rather have them, you know, a hundred. And I know this isn't really possible. I'd rather have them a hundred and ten percent than like a hundred percent or ninety five percent at the beginning of the season because mm -hmm. they're going to need to rely on on these guys in the blocking game at some point. And I think if they want to accomplish a lot of these 
you know, run schemes, power run schemes, they're going to need these, these bigger body tight ends. And we know, and I, and this is, I don't know what this is going to look like for Jared Parker, but we know Notre Dame likes to use a lot of tight ends in, in various different sets, right? Whether that's 21 personnel, 22 personnel. I mean, heck, sometimes we've seen three tight ends on the field at one time. So these guys are going to be leaned on. Um, and it's, it's more so than just the receiving game. It's what they can do as blockers and really help the run game. Mm-hmm. From the mailbag yesterday, brought it back today. If you were Notre Dame's athletic director, would you rather schedule a home and home series with Penn state or Tennessee? Um, I'm a fan of playing teams out of region and teams. You don't necessarily play a lot. Um, I know Notre Dame played Tennessee in like the early, like what felt like 2004, 2005 timeframe. Mm-hmm. They were on the schedule then. I just think that they play enough of the big 10 teams in the area. Um, so I'm a fan of going out of like the, and especially if you can add a SEC team to the schedule, I just feel like that gives them better weight nationally, right? Like people respect the SEC, right? Like everyone talks about how great the SEC is every year and how loaded they are. Well, at a SEC team, you know, see what Notre Dame looks like against a SEC team. I, I'm not that I don't think Penn State would be a fun game. I think it would be a great game, but I'm just more interested in in what the benefit is for Notre Dame at the end of the season. And I think a SEC team on the schedule holds more weight um, than a than a Big Ten opponent. It's just someone that you're not used to playing, and I like that. It's like I liked I liked that South Carolina game last year because I thought it was a good standing of where Notre Dame was at, you know, in comparison. Interesting. The majority are going with, you know, not a, not a steep majority, but more people saying Tennessee than Penn state. I'd rather see it be Penn state because, you know, they, they used to play Penn state quite regularly back in the eighties and the nineties and, you know, I guess early nineties and, you know, yeah, I guess it's really been very early nineties and, into the 80s because the fact that Penn State went to the Big Ten, and I don't think that they played very much, if at all, since then. That's pretty much about the time the uh, the series ended. You know, they did play, what was that, 06, 07, I believe, in that range. They played a home-and-home, home, but it, it's been that, – that's been pretty much it. I would rather see Penn State just because they were at one time a, you know, a – kind of a regular on the schedule and they were a rival and British boy makes a good point Penn state because we can further recruit Pennsylvania high school talent by beating their state team. There's more talent in, in Pennsylvania than Tennessee. That's a great point as well. So yeah, Chi-Town said, Oh seven, they played them at home the year before that as well. I believe they went to Penn state in that disastrous Oh seven season, but they played them at home the year before that. In 06. So I think B B B I Br Irish boy. I think that's a really good point about I don't know if you just said that, but the, the ability to beat Penn State in their home state and really dominate the Pennsylvania area in recruiting. I mean, that's not a bad point. I think a lot of good recruits do come out of that area. So I, I don't know how much they could steal from Tennessee or you know SEC really. Um, from the south and so if you can kind of expand more in your area the midwest it kind of makes sense but i'm still buying tennessee in the end of the day okay all right i think i think just i think everyone's going to see it a little bit different and then you know again simple majority at least right here saying uh saying tennessee than penn state but 
you know, it's another SEC school. They played their share here recently, and they have played Tennessee before. I'd just rather see. Do we uh, do we think that the the this new variation in the chat, L-A-M-R-E-H-K, I think that's a variation of Derek, if, if we're being honest. I think, he's changed his name. I think he's changed his name again. I'm on to him, though. It looks like it. I think – I think you're right. I think you're right. It's like the combination of his last name, like half and half, I think. Uh-huh. So according to multiple reports, Big Ten presidents have given Commissioner Tony Petiti um, permission to explore or the go-ahead to explore expansion with Oregon and Washington as the top targets. So if you're the Pac-12, what do you do? Is there any hope? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if there's anything you can do. I think everyone that is, uh, uh, I, I think that they're all going to get poached. And it's I mean, if you're because... the Pac-12, you've got to be on the phone with Boise State, I think, at this point. It's just like, okay, now's the time, Boise. Come on over. <laughs> it's funny. Last week when you were out, Vince had a, a rapid-fire question of, who do you think would be the next uh, Pac-12 schools to leave? I'm not going to say I called it, but Oregon and Washington were my two choices. I know it's not that hard of a thing to to guess or but you know I think I think that that is I think that's what's going to happen and I ultimately think if they lose Oregon and Washington that they might have to fold and I think the rest of the Pac-12 might get kind of dispersed yeah. dispersed out I just don't if you lose USC, UCLA and Oregon you know the three the three most probably prominent schools and then you add Washington who's been really solid over the last 10 years I don't know how you can make it without basically your top four teams in the last decade. I don't think the way it sounds, I don't think these schools necessarily want to, especially like Arizona state and Utah, apparently, you know, like the big 12 is voting today on Arizona and Arizona state and Arizona state, I guess, and Utah, neither one of them really want to go to the big 12. The problem is, especially if you lose Oregon and Washington, the, you know, the, the two best football programs that you have right now, what are you going to do? Like there's, you're already down to nine teams as it is. So if you lose them, you not only lose your two best remaining programs, but you're also down to seven. And what are you going to just, you know, combine forces with the Mountain West Conference? You know, like I've, seen some, people, I've seen some people suggest like a, a Pac-12 ACC merger and I suppose that could work. Yeah, but those I mean, are all opposite sides of the co- – that's like coast to coast. But does it matter? I mean, USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten. Does any of it matter anymore? I guess so. I mean, that's the thing. I just – because it would be – like, it would be brutal, like, to go from Washington State, you know, in Pullum to – Virginia Tech. To Virginia Tech or Miami – you know, any of those places, like like just the distance that you'd have to go to to get down there. And then, you you know, Oregon State in Corvallis. I just I just don't see any hope for the Pac-12. There might be some conference that's the Pac something, but it's probably going to be just a bunch of leftovers of Mountain West Conference teams with Oregon State and Washington State. And, you know, Cal and Stanford, I think, one in, but it, it doesn't sound like the Big Ten is very high on on getting you know either one of them, and I I just I don't think they provide much value 
for anybody. So are these conferences going to rename themselves now that there's no longer 10 teams and like 12 teams? It's a good teams? question. Because I think they've it's kept, stupid. They've kept the numbers for branding. You know, like like the Big Ten has been the Big Ten forever, even though it was, you know, what, a million teams <laughs> in there. They still call themselves the Big Ten. Do you like the moves potentially if the Big Ten makes them, though? If they get Oregon and Washington? I'm not a fan of all this restructuring in general, to be honest with you. I don't like the idea of big mega super conferences. I like things how they were, um, but I think people are greedy and it comes down to money and contracts at the end of the day, unfortunately. Um, And it's just annoying. Like I would just enjoy to have, you know, the power five conferences and have them be pretty equal in teams, you know? Um, So I no, I, I don't like it. Um, and I think what's going to happen with the Pac-12, I just think there's going to be basically, you know, the, there's going to be the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the SEC. I think the remaining teams in the Pac-12 are just basically going to get drafted off by the, the, the remaining big conferences. I don't think they're going to yeah. fold into the Big West. I don't think they're going to fold to the Mountain West. I don't think they're going to become independent. I just think there's going to be – they're going to fold in and be equally distributed between the remaining power conferences. Yeah. If if Oregon and Washington are lucky, even though there's you know a lot of dif- distance that has to be made, they'll 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 cash bigger checks. They'll be in the Big Ten, you know. And I I guess USC, you know, they were pretty happy. You know, one of the reasons they got out not only the money, but they kind of wanted to distance themselves from Oregon. And now you could have USC and Oregon back in the same conference. You know, once again, it's it's. Just a mess, and I agree with what you're saying. I, I don't think any of it's good. You know, it's it's one thing when you're talking about the football teams doing this, but it's a completely different thing when you're talking about swimming and track and volleyball and all these other sports that have to make these treks across the country. I, I just think it's it's completely gotten out of hand at this point. But you're absolutely right. It's all about the bottom line. It's the dollars. That's it. NFL's Hall of Fame game is tonight in Canton between the Jets and the Browns. Scale of 1 to 10, what's your interest? Uh, My overall interest is a 2 out of 10. Um, It's funny. My girlfriend is going with some friends. I am doing a podcast and watching (laughs) Game 4 of the Cubs and Reds tonight because that matters to me more in this current situation. So I... But you're I have, saying if if you weren't doing the podcast, you would be down there at the game no, as well. I, I would be not going because I'm watching, watching the Cubs, Cubs and Reds. Reds. Okay, it is an important Cubs. game tonight. If the Cubs win, they take the series three one. The Cubs lose, it's just a wash and a two two series. So um, while it's it's fun that the football season is starting and it is the Browns and I live in Cleveland and Canton, which is about thirty minutes south of me, that all sounds fun. But I'm going to be honest with you. The Browns are really annoying me because I have Browns fans who keep sending me Cowboys <laughs> videos from training camp. And I'm like, guys, leave me alone. It's day three of training camp. I don't care that Dak threw an interception. That's right. I don't care if Deuce Vaughn is taking reps at running back and he's five foot five. I don't care if Trayvon Diggs is trash talking Dak Prescott. It is training camp, you know? Leave me alone. How about you make the playoffs for more than one time in 20 years? Before they haven't you... even played a preseason game yet, and everyone wants to That's what I mean. Just, it's, it's, it's training camp. You're meant to let the ball loose. You're meant to take chances because there's no repercussions. You're kind of just figuring it out, right? So, like, I have a lot of Browns fans who just think they're really funny sending me all this 
Cowboy stuff, and it's really annoying me. So I I am disinterested in everything Browns right now. Like there are, there are a lot of NFL teams who can make you know poke fun at Cowboys fans. Cleveland Browns fans. Not one of them. Not one of them. And I would throw the New York Jets in there for that matter as well. Not one of them. You know, neither one of those. And like for both of these teams, if the quarterbacks were even going to play one snap, maybe I'd have some interest. I'll I'll probably watch for a little bit. You know, it it is at least fun to have that, you know, the, the Hall of Fame game is always the first game. It, it comes on and all that. But Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play. Deshaun Watson's not going to play and i mean that's really for the jets it's like i'll just wait until hard knocks next week and see the stuff that the jets didn't want us to see i guess so i put it at about a two as well pretty low i think your cubs though turn it up the last two nights what is it 36 runs the last two nights but here i'm gonna say this though as fun as the last two nights have been it really doesn't matter if the Cubs lose tonight because it's a 2-2 wash of the series. It doesn't matter how many runs you score in your two wins. Like, it's impressive. It's great that they scored all these runs. But, again, it doesn't matter if you lose to Cincinnati tonight because all those runs don't matter because it's a 2-2 wash. You didn't gain any games in the standings. So it really doesn't matter, in my opinion. Like, it's fun to watch. And I'm like, yeah, I love the, you know, the outburst and offense and everything. But you still get – I care more about winning a series. You could have – a hundred combined runs, but if you lose the series, I really don't care. <laughs> but if they win tonight, they win the series, right? Correct. That so that's I will really relish in all these runs scored if they are able to win the game tonight. Then it means something to me. But again, it doesn't mean these two games doesn't mean anything if they can't win tonight and take the series. Shytown says he's been to a Hall of Fame game and it was a good time. And that's, you know, the thing about probably being at the game is don't they introduce like all the Hall of Famers and stuff yeah, like it's that? Like the, it's, and, you know, yeah. like it's different, I think, you know, to be able to be there and it's see more of an experience than the game yeah, itself. Exactly. The game itself, still just the first preseason game and they're not going to play any of the starters and any of that kind of stuff. But uh, good times. Good times. All right. Um announcement tomorrow we're going to do the rapid fire show of course at five o'clock tomorrow is going to be the final friday rapid fire show because if you remember back to last season we didn't we didn't start doing the rapid fire shows on friday until after the season ended so we'll have the rapid fire show tomorrow and then we're going to start gearing up getting ready for game week coming up we won't have another Friday rapid fire show until probably sometime in December, something like that after the season ends. So join us tomorrow, five o'clock sure to have a lot of fun. And did I say thanks to the guy who put up the super chat earlier? If not, thank you. Michael Mahoney. Michael, gave me thank a you tip for my uh, Excel <laughs> sheet. I appreciate that brother. That's right. So uh, tomorrow five o'clock be here. It'll be uh, all three of us will be here. Jesse Vince and I, be here for the rapid fire show at five so we will talk to you then have a good one hit the like button as you leave us tonight and of course subscribe and review we'll talk to you manana on ivy nation sports talk
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.